Thanks for joining us. Tech for Evil all the way out in Oslo, Norway for the Oslo Freedom Forum 2023. Manal, how are you finding it so far? Assalamu alaikum, everyone. It's a beautiful morning here in Oslo looking over the foreign ministry building. We are at the Oslo Freedom Forum. It's the Davos for Human Rights Activists. And we are very excited to record season three, Don't Click Here. Yes. And it's how activists use technology to find tyranny and authoritarian regimes. Also, how tick is being used by those dictators to undermine their work. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You've been living in a dream world, Neo. A prison for your mind. Salam, everyone. My name is Manal Sharif. I'm a cybersecurity expert, and I worked my whole career to protect people's data from hackers, the bad guys. I'm also a women's rights activist. I use social media successfully to start the Women to Drive movement back home in Saudi Arabia. And I'm Reinhard Sosen. As a teacher, I saw how tech could light up a classroom. But there was a dark side that I've recently discovered. My friend Manal and I are on a podcasting journey to investigate the evils of big tech, educate people around the world and inspire netizens just like you, young and old, towards a better digital future. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special event for the Tech for Evil podcast. Manal and I have gone global. That's right. We've flown all the way to Norway to cover the Oslo Freedom Forum in 2023. We're going to be speaking to some amazing people from all around the world and all walks of life, talking about technology and its influence, particularly on human rights all around the world. Truth be told, you'll hear some pretty harrowing stories that are confronting and scary, but also some uplifting ones as well. And Manal and I are so thrilled to be bringing you our interviews with extraordinary people, and we are thrilled you can join us for our very special coverage of Tech for Evil Season 3, which we have called Don't Click Here, with special coverage from the Oslo Freedom Forum 2023. Each year, the Oslo Freedom Forum attracts delegates and extraordinary people from around the globe. And this year, Manal and I took particular focus on how technology is impacting the story of human rights in Africa. The continent has seen its fair share of dictatorships, hyperinflation, and human rights issues, which brings us to the technology of Bitcoin and its power to turbocharge the growth of human rights and freedom for everyone across the continent. Nolene Sumba was our first interview and our first delegate from Africa who sat down to speak with us at the Tech for Evil booth. Nolene is from Kenya and works to promote Bitcoin around Africa. She is the director at something called Machankura, which we will get into. But the most amazing thing I learned about Nolene is that she found a way for people to still make Bitcoin transactions even without an internet connection. Pretty extraordinary. We hope you enjoy our interview with Nolene Sumba as much as we did. Now, am I saying it right? Nolene Sumba. Yes, Nolene Sumba. Welcome. Nolene, tell us a little bit about yourself uh, for our audience. Uh, what would you like them to know about you and the ways that technology has helped your work? Okay, uh, first of all, thank you for, for having me. Um, I'm glad to be here. It's a beautiful sunny day in Oslo. Um, so uh, my work, I am a Bitcoin advocate. I am based in Kenya. I'm 
I've been passionate about Bitcoin. I think it's what Africa needs and it's just uh, arrived at the perfect time. So um, I do a couple of things, but the main ones I'm with a company called Machankura. Machankura. Uh, yes, yes. Um, How do you spell Machankura? M-A-C-H-A-N-K-U-R-A. So Machankura, Machankura is slang for money in South Africa. Ah. Uh, the township part, yeah, so it's just money. Yeah, we wanted Machankura. to use... Yes, uh, so... The developer wanted to use something that uh, that people can relate to. You know, if you mention Machankura, they're like, yeah, money. Money. Yes. Machankura. Yeah. So um, I work with Machankura. I'm in charge of orange peel operations. That's just orange peeling, getting people on board. And uh, besides that, I'm with Exonomia Africa. I carry out translation of uh, Bitcoin content into African languages. Mm. I'm a Swahili translator. So I've uh, translated two books so far. Um, right. So there's a uh, layered money by Nick Batia and the block size war. Um, yes. So, so, mm-hmm. so why why Bitcoin is important for Africa? Yeah. Or uh, the freedom in Africa or the financial freedom there? Why? Okay. So uh, for example, like I'm from a country, uh, Kenya, uh, where we've we're under the mercy of the World Bank and IMF when they make uh, financial decisions, they affect us directly. So we've undergone things like the structural adjustment program. Um, where we are forced to devalue our currency. And, you know, with currency devaluation, um, meaning you sell your resources at a, a discount in the market. Yeah, and so. IMF is the International Monetary <laughs> Fund. That's run, the, always the head of that is always a French person, right? Yes, yes. Interesting. yes. So um, they, they really play a big role in terms of financial decisions in our country. And uh, they influence decisions uh, made by the central bank. And um, so what we're having in Kenya, uh, I'll just speak uh, in terms of Kenya, um, our currency is devaluing uh, very fast. And uh, with that, you know, the poverty levels are, are rising. And uh, so uh, with Bitcoin, it's money that at least over the long term, um, you, you find we're we looking for ways in which you can invest in the long term and have our purchasing power. Last. So Bitcoin is the avenue that most people in Kenya are using. Can you give us an example of how to use Bitcoin in Kenya? Like, do you invest in it? Do you put your savings in it? Yes, basically um, most of Kenya, um, they use it for the, uh, the investment uh, bit of it because uh, we want to conserve the purchasing power over a long time. Um, you don't want to be with a currency that today I can buy one loaf of bread and then um, tomorrow I can buy just half a loaf of bread. So, Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, why we're running towards Bitcoin. Well, speaking of why, the people I've been meeting here, they all have amazing stories, backstories about why they started their work. What would you like people to hear about your story? Why did you choose to do what you're doing now with Bitcoin in Africa? Oh, I love you've asked that. I love telling people my story. <laughs> so, um, um, uh, so when we had that crisis, uh, the 2008 crisis, um, I was Which quite crisis young. was that, sorry? Uh, the financial crisis of 2008, 2009. Oh, the um, global yeah. financial, right. global financial crisis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, you know, when it happens in the West, the ripple effects are felt in Africa maybe after a while. And um, it, it really uh, got to me personally. And um, I, I became curious. I was, I was a young child then, um, but uh, I became curious. I was around 13 uh, about money, you know, because then you have your life turned around. Um, for me, it was more of like, what, what's happening? So I became motivated to learn about money. And uh, it was a no-brainer for me just to go and learn. Uh, business. So I've, uh, I have a background in financial engineering and uh, also accounting. Um, 
my my dad I was lucky that he was willing to you know pay for me to he, he saw the interest and uh the learning uh did not take <laughs> so long before I realized you know there's something wrong with this with this system our monetary our financial yeah, yeah, system yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in Kenya that yeah. is very interesting yeah. so so your central bank in Kenya is not is controlled by the french um, government no no we, okay it's it's supposed to be independent but uh, you know like in terms of the taxation that we have in fact recently um we we've been forced to raise taxes um because our our currency is said to be allowed to float but that's not the case that's not really the case um they follow mostly decisions that are made from the IMF and World Bank you know when they give us the loans comes in terms of repayment and uh we have to adjust our lifestyle so you find that uh, the wage bill is forced to reduce yes yeah so maybe if you have like classes and teachers either they have their salaries cut especially yes. for civil servants yes yeah so that uh, you can be able to repay the loan and depending on where the money is taken for the development project um the the conditions that come with it and so um mostly it's companies so the IMF would tell you which companies will develop this, this exactly. infrastructure exactly. and it's usually going, the money, the money goes channel. back yeah to, that is very interesting yeah. when when these decisions are made who does it impact who who does it impact most in Kenyan society and how uh-huh. in fact even before you oh, get nice to the decision close, nice and close oh sorry yeah. in fact before you get to the to the decisions being made um you have to look at when the loans come where they are channeled to so uh, i'll be frank with you <laughs> so yeah. If we have of course resources um uh, if if there's a mining company that would like a railway to to pass by yeah uh, that that is where our funds will be directed for so you find things like healthcare education which are important for livelihoods of people maybe we will take a back seat um yeah so and then choose what it is yeah so you find um, yeah we are in sort of like a pyramid so the money is concentrated at the top so by the time it's spreading to the bottom it's a bit uh, yeah livelihoods are are in front so Um for us we, with Bitcoin we look at it as more of a, a grassroots movement. Um the people at the top are here to embrace it but let's get people at the bottom to understand what is money. What is money? money? Yeah. How do you explain yeah. to me? I never used Bitcoin in my life mm-hmm. and I never lived in a country where our uh, our currency was devalued. I'm Saudi Arabian, Saudi real tied to the US dollar. I never faced that. I never looked at my saving account and said, "Oh my god, I used to buy a car with this money or buy a loaf of bread as you mentioned, basic." but tomorrow I can't afford this. So if you want to explain to me, uh, if I live in a country where my money is at the mercy of another government or another organization, IMF, how can you explain to me as a, a very normal human, a mother, for example, that uh, the concept of using Bitcoin for financial freedom, how can you explain this to me in simple words? Okay, so um, one thing about money, I'm... I'm I'm not surprised you say that because money is a very difficult conversation. People don't talk about about money. Um notice especially in the west. It's it's sensitive. Yeah, yeah, it's very sensitive. So um money, um one thing about money it's supposed to be scarce. Um that's why we we on the gold standard. Um that's why we choose gold as a as a form of money because it it's hard for for gold to be uh, brought into the system. So money is supposed to be scarce and why is money supposed to be scarce money is supposed to be increasing in value over time so things are not supposed to be getting expensive over time you're not supposed to pay a uh, rent of maybe a thousand dollars a month and then you know maybe after 10 years this while well, you're paying rent will be two thousand dollars that's not the way it's 
really supposed to be. So yeah. scarcity yeah. Gold, is the king Yes, scarcity is the key ingredient. That is so true so. because gold goes up in value. <laughs> exactly. Like, I exactly. don't they put their money in gold. I yes. put my savings in gold yes. back home. Yes, And it's, gosh, in the last 10 years, yeah. it's so expensive. So now. gold is the last money, the last yes. good money we had. And how long ago was that? <laughs> like most time, time. yeah. I can't remember the last time I chucked a bag of gold yeah. at someone to pay yeah. for my yeah. uh, my rent. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we say well, well in Bitcoin you have this something called what happened in 1971. Mm. Uh, that's when uh, we really that. got yeah. off of the gold standard, and that was the that was the nail yeah. on the cross. So right now we're just printing money, yes. and uh, when when we print money, if you if you guys print money here and you bring it to Africa and we're taking the dollars, so. You guys are at an, at an advantage yes. um, as compared to yes. us, yeah, because your purchasing power is higher. Um, but uh, I think uh, Bitcoin is something that would level the playing field. So if I, if I work today and I'm paid in Bitcoin, my purchasing power is bound to increase over time. And uh, yeah. But what, what do you think about in the pandemic? Everyone got into Bitcoin, reached $90,000. Yes. And now it went back. Is it $14,000 again? Uh, now, it's as for now we're at uh, twenty-five. 25, so do you 000? think it's stable now? It's okay for people to start. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing about Bitcoin, it's uh, it's it's new tech, and people are using it for speculative purpose. <laughs> mm-hmm. It depends. People are finding different use cases. So um, in terms of the human rights side, um, I'm, I'm sure you'll have Maron here as a guest, and she'll she'll tell you how she's using Bitcoin to to pay for. And Farida, for, yeah. she's speaking with yeah, us exactly, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So these are these are use cases. These are real use cases where, where refugees need to, to need to escape and they need money. Also, where people who are fighting for for freedom in their countries and they can't be able to transact because uh, you have restrictions. Um, uh, countries like Nigeria, um, it's it's very difficult to move money even in Africa true, from one country true. to another. So we have to settle our settlement is uh, euro dollar and then it goes and then to, you convert yeah, it to the another African sense. currency. We don't even trade with our with our own it's currencies. Crazy. Yeah. No one talks about this and yeah. no one knows why Africa import 85% of their food. Although it's a very rich yes. country, a yes. continent. Yes. And that's because of all these restrictions put on exactly. the sales of their resources, yeah. what, they, what they plant, their agriculture. It's all controlled by IMF, the IMF and organizations in the West. Yeah, so, it's so, crazy yeah, to know. So, when you think about it, it, uh, it, all, it all goes down to, to the money. Um, who controls the money, whoever controls the money uh, has the power has and the they power. make the decision. Yeah. So how technology is used to undermine your work? So you're using Bitcoin for financial freedom in your country, Kenya. But how is is technology in any way in your country being used to undermine your work? For example, I'll give you an example. A lot of countries are banning the using Bitcoin. Yes. So how do you have any like restrictions in Kenya that would prevent you from reaching your goal okay. using Bitcoin? Uh, if you can allow me, let me go back to, to when you were asking about Bitcoin's volatility. Yes. Yeah, because uh, so right now people, when Bitcoin came in, uh, I think it's mostly uh, the, the, the Silk Road drug trade was, oh God, uh, yes. was among the first use cases. Yes. And then the scammers came in. So when Bitcoin came into Africa at first, when I heard of it first in 2015, yeah, it had lots of scammers. So, wow. Yeah. And so, so you go to someone and the first thing they're like, oh, no, Bitcoin is a scam. And even I personally took time before I really got to understand the tech side of it. And the, yeah. so when you have that, um, most governments are, are skeptical about it either because they they don't understand it or they have cases where people mm. have been scammed. Um, so. How how this and people are losing money. It, it's happening livelihood. So that's why we want to focus on the education bit. 
where we can teach people how the best way to use Bitcoin, self-custody it and, and all that. Um, so how the technology is being undermined. So for example, we have a country like Uganda. Yes. Um, they, they banned it. Um, they banned the use of cryptocurrency. Um, in Tanzania, for example, Machankura, we had a, we had a kind of a problem and uh, it was also banned. In Kenya, my country, um, we have regulations being put on in terms of taxation. So the capital gains tax. So uh, mm. you sell your Bitcoin. So it's yeah. regulated in Kenya? Yeah, yeah okay. It's a, it's a gray area because even if you're regulating it, the implementation part of it is difficult. I don't think there's any country in the world that has learned how to implement the regulation bit. We can even see US um, struggling with it, especially after the FTX, FTX exchange. And yeah. Binance now. Yeah. Binance yeah. there yeah. under... Uh, Binance is a trading company for Bitcoin. It's yes, also yes. under fire now. He's from yeah. Hong Kong. Yeah. The, and they say he has the same practices as uh, Sam Bankfried. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Binance is quite huge. I can't undermine the influence of Binance um, in Africa. Lots of countries uh, use Binance as an exchange. So uh, maybe right now maybe what we can focus on is uh, telling people, yeah, you can use it to buy, but just don't leave it in the exchange. Mm -hmm. Because uh, at the end of the day, uh, Binance still has someone who can... No, it can take go your, down. Take all your money. Yes, exactly. Like Sam Bank Freeman. Yeah. One of the things that obviously the Oslo Freedom Forum is great at is raising awareness about people and their work. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your work with women in particular okay. in Kenya and Bitcoin and what that impact has been there? Um, wh where would where would some of the people that you've worked with be if Bitcoin uh, wasn't a technology you could use? I'm one of those people. Mm. <laughs> one of the amount of the women in this space that uh, Bitcoin has really transformed my life. Um, um, when when I got into it, but uh, one thing I can say, most uh, women are not uh, very much interested with the development side of sort of things. So uh, maybe we can work on uh, trying to get them into this space in a way in which they can understand. So like in Kenya, we have um, uh, this this community thing called Shamas, where um, some of like a savings, the circle, um, where, where we all come together, women, and save, and uh, there's either investment that's done from the savings, so it's, it's a thing that's very common uh, among the communities, so um, this is one way in which we want to uh, get more women um, into it, So and then we've talked about uh, the education front, um, I have a very good friend, uh, Lorraine Marcel, she works with Bitcoin Data, so uh, for her, she's just providing a safe space for women to learn about Bitcoin. And uh, her motivation was, uh, you get into a Bitcoin conference and you can already tell <laughs> um, the ratio of men they're to all, women. Men. It's so true. Yeah. I've been to Bitcoin, I mean, crypto parties. Yeah. Oh, I should take you to yeah. this one. Yeah. And uh, they all are, are men. They're no women. That's yeah. very interesting what you're you just very said few, now. Very few women. I think we, can, we even know each other. Yes. yes. <laughs> How many of us very are few, in this space. Very few women. Yes, yes. So, so education, women, educating women and getting more into that. Yeah. I would ask about the importance of tech also in your personal life. If I take your phone from you now, your smartphone, yeah. can you go on with your day? Oh my goodness, no. <laughs> what would you need your phone for? <laughs> uh, like, uh, first of all, when I was coming here, movement. The yes. first thing was just getting an eSIM. And uh, most of my work is very much online. On your phone? Yeah, on my phone. Um, so I have to be constantly um, knowing the emails. Uh, my, 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 my boss, he's <laughs> you can work any time of the day. So if, yeah. if you were, because if you work arrested, God forbid, yes. one day yes. someone decided that Bitcoin is bad and people work there, I'm gonna, and your phone was taken away from you, what's the things on your phone could put you in trouble? 
what could put me in trouble? One one thing I like about, uh, for example, like um, I've mentioned to you Machankura. Um, yes. Machankura is a wallet that can work even without the internet. I wanted to say Offline. that if I if I have if I lose the, my phone and the internet, I still can't be able to access my money. I don't think anything else on my phone is That's really it? that important. Maybe uh, the pictures because I can always pack them up. But if do I have the possibility of losing my, my money if my phone is taken because uh, uh, if I've saved it there. But right now we have the option of saving it offline. So even if they took my phone, I can be able to just backup. access their USSD platform and even transact offline without anybody having to, to, to know. Yeah. If we gave you a magic wand, yes, um, that would help you do what you really want to do in life. Yes, and you could just wave it and go bing, and everything would be magically better. What would what would you do with that magic wand? Yes, yes, yes. I would like to move around easily. <laughs> you like to travel. <laughs> travel around easily. I'm right. not a fan it's of a, it. It's a about the tick. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, in terms yes, of the like tech? what kind of technology in would you create? Yeah. Like a, a, ma- a technology magical wand. I would love to create technology that could just um, instill knowledge in people without having to <laughs> teach them one by one. I love <laughs> this. Because I struggle Mass so education. much. Yeah, if I can carry out my education, I, that would be fantastic. A bit like Neo in the Matrix, just put yes. a cable oh, in and then he downloads that and he knows it. Kung Fu. That's it. That is That's amazing <laughs> invention in tech. I'd love that. Uh-huh. How can le- the listeners learn more about your work and support you? Okay, um, so well, besides um, the translation in Machankura, I'm, um, I'm the Africa correspondent for um, a, a YouTube uh, on YouTube, uh, the Bitcoin layer. So um, I have the a Bitcoin, the Bitcoin layer. Layer? Yes. How do you spell layer? L A Y E R? Yes, yes. Okay, yes. the Bitcoin so, layer on YouTube. Yes, so um, I have a few videos there where I've interviewed even some of the people doing amazing work in Africa. You can be able to find them there. And um, also, I, I like Twitter, so my handle, at Nolin Sumba. Um, that's why you can always reach me anytime. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, really. This was amazing interview. Yes. We'll see Thank you around you. in the, yeah. in the, in the, conf- the forum. In the yeah, form. I'll be speaking tomorrow. Hope I'll be, I'll yeah. be seeing we'll you there. We'll be there. We'll, we'll be record some. Yeah. You yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Thank Fantastic. you. Beautiful Thanks day. Again. Thank you so you much too. for coming. <laughs> From Nolene's story, it's easy to see the power and potential of the Bitcoin technology in Africa's human rights story. Now, another person, a young man, is helping accelerate Bitcoin's adoption across Africa. This young man dropped out of university to translate Bitcoin learning materials into native African languages. He founded and works at Machankura and has found a way to own and store Bitcoin even if you don't have the internet or a smartphone or even a crypto account. Talk about innovation. Look, I sat down with Khodatso Nako in Oslo to hear directly from this extraordinary young man. Mm-hmm. So tell me exactly, how do I say your name? Okay. Hello everyone, I'm Khodatso Nako from South Africa. Khotatso. Khotatso, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks uh, for having me. We, we've had uh, the benefit of meeting so many amazing people, some old, some young. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're more on the younger side of that spectrum. So mm-hmm. so could you tell us in your own words a little bit about you, your background, 
and some of the work that you do in South Africa. Cool, yeah. Um, I'm basically a computer science graduate from the University of Pretoria. I worked as a researcher for a few years and had the pleasure of being paid to research on Bitcoin. And yeah, through that, I learned quite a few things. Um, about Bitcoin and effectively everything else around it, not everything, but a lot of stuff around it, uh, from economics, the technical, game theory, so on and so forth. And it felt like a very good project, right? Um, especially with regards to monetary history in South Africa or Africa as a whole. And yeah, I personally feel like it's giving people the opportunity to choose their own form of currency. Thanks for explaining that. Now, could you give us an example of how some of the Bitcoin technologies Mm -hmm. are helping uh, South Africa in particular and why why is Bitcoin so special as a technology there Mm -hmm. for the people? Okay, yeah. So at its core, um, I'll have to cite... um, um, a person who's known as Bution on Twitter. Right? Bution. Yeah. And he says Bitcoin is a database. Right? So it's just like any other database in the world. You just download the software and then you run it on your machine or whatever else. Right. right? And then you are able to store things and so on and so forth. And then what makes Bitcoin so good is that you can then coordinate or communicate with other nodes running the same process similar software, right? Yeah. And then share data with them and verify what the data is, right? So today apps like WhatsApp do that, you know, when you're chatting with somebody and you send them a message, sure. they verify that the message you were sent is cryptographically secure. So um, yeah, uh, imagine if your WhatsApp was connected to like thousand other WhatsApp instances in the world all having the same conversation, right? So that's Bitcoin. And the beauty of that is you could build on top of that, right? And you can add your own messages, uh, but there's rules that you would have to follow to add your own messages to the protocol, right? Um, for you to send a message, you need a token, right, which is uh, Bitcoin or SATs, depending on what you want to call it. And from there, you can send however much and well, however much is in your balance or in your control to anywhere in the world. And then it's, you know, there's a whole, they like saying uh, the medium is the message, right? But in the Bitcoin case, the medium is not the message, right? The message is a transfer of value, sats, bits, Bitcoin, whatever you want to call it. And the medium could be anything, right? Uh, it could be radio, it could be internet, okay. it could be newspapers, right? And so if you want to make a transaction, you broadcast it to the rest of the network. Obviously, the internet being the preferred medium for most people in the world, most likely this show or this recording yes. is going to be uh, broadcasted via yeah, the internet, sure, yeah. right? Um, but if we went back a few decades, it would have been via radio, right? So so yeah, the medium is not the message and so is the same thing for Bitcoin. And what I'm doing is effectively taking that approach and looking at the fact that 
anyone could use a f- digital form of payment, right? Yes. Uh, but not everyone has an internet-connected device. Uh, uh, that is either a smartphone, a feature phone, so on and so forth, all these different things, all these different reasons for why you are not connected to the internet, right? And you have alternatives, though. You have... Um, USSD, you have um, a lot of other options, right? But USSD is effectively, well, an SMS, right, is effectively the template we are building on because there's already been a form of digital payments that has been implemented using uh, USSD, SMS, GSM technology, which is called mobile money, right, Mbesa or whatever other form of mobile money. I think uh, in the Philippines they had um, Gcash, yeah, yeah. So yeah, even Gcash in the Philippines was there early two thousands, and mobile money Mbesa in Kenya was there in the late two thousands, right around the same time Bitcoin got created. Right. So yeah, um, due to the fact that Bitcoin is just a database, you can then build on top of that database interface differently with that database, in the same fashion where if I dial uh, my USS go USSD code for my telecom, they access their database to give me my airtime balance. And yeah, so then um, I interface via USSD and uh, a program I've written will then check the database to see, okay, cool, this person has this much Bitcoin in their account, right? And yeah, you could do way more stuff than from there. What are you seeing with, with these technologies as mm-hmm. they're improving, mm-hmm. what are you seeing being maybe the, the backlash or the resistance to them either from people, just regular people in life or even governments, maybe even in South Africa? What are you, what are you seeing as maybe uh, a resistance to some of these new technologies emerge in your part of the world? Well, um, let's start from the user perspective. Right? So... If a technology is user-friendly, the users will embrace it, right? And um, so then it's a question of what are we doing to get rid of the barriers um, that keep people from using a technology, Good right? point, yep. yeah. So I think, in my humble personal opinion, that the Bitcoin user experience is great, better than pretty much anything else in the world, especially when it comes to digital payments and whatever else, right? So um, then uh, next point it would be government. Right? Yeah. Uh, governments generally follow what their people want right? or the people use. We right? hope as well. Yeah. Well, well, if... That's not the case. That is usually an you know authoritarian government. Eh? So uh, the question is, what type of government do you find yourself under? Right. Eh? Mm-hmm. So if it's a government where the people, are, well, the government working on behalf of the people, because technically the people elect the government officials, blah blah blah. Yeah. Government is not an abstract. Well, it is, but um, there's people who are actually doing things in the government. And these people are the same people who live in these countries and use the technology, so on and so forth. So technically speaking, if a technology is usable by 
the people. Chances are um, the, pe- the government will follow suit. Right? And if the government doesn't follow suit, obviously uh, there's a bigger problem uh, that we need to be discussing. Like why is the government going against what its own people want when also its own people run the government? What is, what is the adoption of Bitcoin like in South Africa? Is it very high? Is it still in its infancy? It's a mix, right? Um, so um, we have a lot of scams, right? So um, if we include uh, the scams in the adoption matrix, then it's very high. You know, at least um, you wherever you go, you will find somebody who's been scammed. Right? Earlier this morning, we were talking to Noeline Sumba mm-hmm, from yeah. Kenya, and mm-hmm. she also raised the same point. Yes. She said the scams have unfortunately... Uh, given given Bitcoin a bit of a bad name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm personally um, adding that to the adoption matrix to say the Bitcoin adoption is high, right? but then also that is not Bitcoin. Right? So the people who actually have gotten Bitcoin when they went out into the world and tried to acquire it is low because, you know, there's a distortion into what is actually Bitcoin and what is a scam. Right? And yeah, so... Um, it would be very hard even for me, mm-hmm. uh, like an average person, to even identify the difference. I think you're, you're yes, right. Yeah. right. And yeah, this is the funny thing then, right? Um, once you do it, you, it's easy to see, oh, okay, a legit business will do one, two, three, right? A legit Bitcoin wallet will do one, two, three, and a scam Bitcoin wallet will do one, two, three. But then the scammers are so good at talking to a person's emotions, right? Because people want to get rich quick, right? Sure, yes. So forget the user experience for a minute what people understand and know is that number goes up you know the yeah. bitcoin price goes up so on and so forth and they believe that that's the yeah. behavior that they want to expect yeah, yeah. and then you do oh, you know who else likes uh, saying oh you're gonna put money here and then make a lot of money gamblers exactly gamblers scammers, and everything so yeah so a lot of people never interface or interact with bitcoin from a technical perspective like or technological that, yeah. use case right so yeah are you seeing uh, uh, are you seeing a particular population split or part of the population, maybe more younger people or older people that maybe are a bit more savvy with finances through their life already in South Africa, thinking that they can take a chance on this mm-hmm. or that uh, it's more the young people who actually want to see a different vision for their finances that are adopting it? Yeah, as you asked me that question, all I see is that scene in Squid Game where uh, <laughs> one person is asking the other, what are you doing here? I thought you were financially stable. Right, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, there's no specific profile to what um, type of person would be using Bitcoin. Right? Um, everyone is just trying. And so I've, it's got broad appeal. Yeah, right. And um, I think the bigger issue is, of course, uh, fiat currency, inflation, so on and so forth. So everyone is looking for a way out, right? Everyone is looking for an arc, right? There's a flood coming in. And if you're in South Africa, you only have to look to a few countries next door to see what fiat currencies and deflation and, you can do. You and know, here's the other thing. Rather, yeah. Those neighboring countries are all pegged to the South African rand. 
Uh, I did not know yeah, that. So Lesotho, Swaziland, Namibia, and yeah, I think those are the three that are packed to the South African rand, right? And then we have Zimbabwe, right? Uh, sure. Uh, and I'm Extreme quite sure. Case. Yeah, no one is going to go and use the Zimbabwean dollar for as an escape. I think you're right about that. Yeah. Yeah, right? and then you have Mozambique, uh, but Mozambique has had a civil war going on for quite a while. And yeah, Botswana may be an option, but you know, it's also like one of those countries where we're like, oh, Botswana is, you know, almost the South African province, right? Yeah, but yeah, uh, let me not get into trouble by saying that. Um, yeah. So, all right, look, everyone here, I think, at the Oslo Freedom Forum is just hugely competent and mm-hmm. compelling yeah. about their work. But one of the things I love to ask people is why okay. they got into that work. For you, why is it that this became, why is it that Bitcoin in South Africa became uh, your life's work? Yeah, so it's a weird thing. Right? Um, I didn't have a while when I did it. I was like, okay, let me do this. Right? But then over time, I find reasons and I'm like, oh, that's why, that's why, that's why. Right? So, um, so you found meaning as you were going. Yeah, and I'm still finding meaning. Right? So um, earlier, one of the reasons I found, uh, and I mentioned it, right? I think Bitcoin gives people the opportunity to pick whatever currency they want to use on a day-to-day basis, right? not just have it imposed on you. Right? And, and as I said before, for. The government doesn't tell me what to do. Um, they, what am I to the government? What is the government to me? Am I a slave or what? Right? So if I'm not a slave, I get to determine what I want to do and how I want to live, as long as, of course, I'm not bringing harm to anybody else. Um, so then the other thing is uh, with regards to economics, right? uh, quality of life. Uh, and this is a question I've asked people because we're in Norway, Oslo, right? and it's a very high-income uh, country. Sure. Right? What is the difference between a high-income country and a low-income country, especially looking at the work that's being done most of the time, matches one-to-one? Right? There's a sweeper in Norway who earns maybe 100 times more than a sweeper in uh, South Africa. Right? So what is the difference between the sweeping being done? Right? Um, and yeah, so for me... Same work with a different value exactly, in a different environment. Exactly. Right? And so for me, uh, going deeper in that way... Obviously, a person determines how much they want to get paid. Uh, so a lot of people immigrate out of the low-income countries into the high-income countries. But then entrepreneurs also determine how much they get paid by realizing that some people are willing to pay more for stuff. Right? Now, if you're in a country that wants to dictate everything you do, like what type of business you can pursue as well, and this is becoming every country effectively, right? Um, it's becoming harder and harder for entrepreneurs to be entrepreneurial because you have to submit one form after the Very other. bureaucratic. Yeah. yeah, right? So the question stops being, um, will I be able to service my customers' needs and be profitable, right? And it becomes, is it, is it legal for me to do this? Or what, have, what do I have to fill out to do this, right? So entrepreneurs become business admins effectively, right? Filling out all these paper forms. Rather than, rather than growing the value of their idea or their product or mm. their service, they're then stuck in this bureaucratic cycle. Yes, right. And, and disincentivizes them from being in that environment and probably 
incentivizes them to go somewhere else. Exactly. And as I'm saying this, I remember the scene from Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Uh, oh, beautiful film, yes. Yeah, when the tax lady was talking to um, the, bus- the business owner, uh, the leading character, and on some, yo, what are all of these expenses, right? Yes. Firstly, she's running a profitable business, and, you know, entrepreneurs always want to do more, you know, like, oh, sure. I, I want to try out this, blah, yeah. blah. So the other stuff is not working, karaoke nights is not working, whatever, whatever. But the laundromat is working, right? And then the tax lady is, you have to decide what your business is. But what's the, where's the entrepreneurial spirit, right? What, what if we can actually go into a laundromat with a karaoke With a night, night of karaoke. Yes. And while you're waiting for your laundry to get done, you're out here singing, Mancho, Mancho, man. <laughs> so, yeah. And, yeah, so I feel... The other reason is that um, Bitcoin gives us the opportunity to separate work from state. Eh? A lot of um, other Bitcoiners say the money from state separation. Eh? Oh, yes. Well, yeah, or church but, from state. Yeah, or church from state. And that is where the slogan comes from, effectively. Eh? But I think we've had enough countries that have not issued their own money. Zimbabwe, El Salvador, all these other countries that have used the US dollar in El Salvador before they made Bitcoin legal tender. Their legal tender was uh, the United States dollar. They were not issuing their own currency. Right? But in form and in fact, uh, there was pretty much not too much different from El Salvador and any other country. Separating money and state didn't add more freedoms for them, right? So what did? Uh, So a few other things, um, and it's also debatable if there is freedom in El Salvador, but the stats suggest that El Salvador, after adopting legal tender, has been on an upward trend, or after having Nayib Bukele as a president, it has been on an upward trend. Long term will determine if that trend continues. I feel it will, for as long as Nayib Bukele is president. And then you have to ask what changed, right? And what is El Salvador dif- doing differently from Zimbabwe? Right? Yeah, look, uh, we've got to wrap up. Tell me one more time exactly how to pronounce your first name properly. Oh, yeah, it's Khotatso, but you can Khotatso. just say KG. Khotatso, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure chatting mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. You're a phenomenal young man. I hope all your work in South Africa is actually going to go and um, and produce some amazing stuff there. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, we're backing you, and uh, we hope to hear from you more. Hola, thank you for having me. No worries. Ciao. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. You would be hard-pressed to find a more dedicated warrior in the fight for human rights than Meron Estefanos. Meron's nickname is the Huntress of Human Traffickers. She brought 15 human traffickers to justice, helped to save thousands of Eritreans from drowning in the Mediterranean, and helped negotiate the release of hostages who were kidnapped and held at ransom. She is a real badass. Manal sat down to speak with Meron about artificial intelligence, human trafficking, and so, so much more. We hope you enjoy Manal's interview with Meron Estefanos. Salam everyone, this is Manal Sharif and we are recording live from Oslo Freedom Forum. The lovely weather outside, uh, very actually hot. <laughs> Too hot. <laughs> to Oslo. And I have here with me Meron, our guest for this episode. And I would like you to introduce yourself, your name and what do you do? 
Hi, I'm Meron Estefanos. I'm uh, from Eritrea. I'm a Swedish Eritrean, actually. I'm an activist. I'm a journalist. I'm a researcher. Basically, that's me. What do you do now, Miron? Right now, I work for an NGO called Distributed AI Research Institute. So Interesting. I'm researching on um, refugees and AI, how AI can be harmful towards refugees. How AI can be harmful towards refugees. This is amazing. So Tick for Evil podcast, this is our season three. And the season we name it Don't Click Here. How human rights activists use technology to advance human rights. And how actually technology is used against human rights activists and by tyrants. So I think this is really the right. Can you just give me any background about you? So you're Eritrean, you're here in so, Oslo. How, how, what, what brought you to human right, uh, to Oslo Freedom Forum and what, who introduced you to Human Rights Foundation? Uh, well, uh, I, I've, been, I've been an activist for 20 years. I was wow. fighting against the dictatorship in Eritrea. I grew up in, in Sweden. So I had no clue that my country had become a dictatorship. So I actually moved back for good, thinking that things are good. And I lived there for two years. So for me, life was great because I, I'm a Swedish citizen. Yes. So it didn't affect me. But the, for the population, my people, there's a national slavery going on there. Because as soon as you turn 15, 16, the government takes you from your family. Family. You do your high school in the military camp. If you have good grades, you go to college. If, you, if not, you become a soldier. Women and men. So it's an indefinite conscription that's never end. So it became either you flee or you stay slave. So the, our option have become so we have like the next to Syrians, we are the second largest re- refugee producing country on earth. And we were only 3.5 million in I did not know that. Yeah, yeah, not many people know that. So that's how my active... So when I lived there for two years and everyone was like, are you crazy? You actually moved from Sweden when everyone is fleeing. Uh, so after two years, you know, I, t- I, I saw everything. I understood. I, it kind of opened my eyes. Uh, so I went back to Sweden and then I started opposing. I became an activist. Uh, at that time, there was no... I mean, still until today, internet penetration is 2% in Eritrea, which is very low. 2%? Yeah, only 2% of the population have access, which is the 2% are like government people and others. So basically, there is no internet in Eritrea. And so we felt, me and my friends felt, how do we penetrate Eritrea? So we had to do the old way. So we created a radio uh, broadcasting via shortwave into the country. That's, that's, there is no free press in the country. So if you are a person in Eritrea, the Arab Spring never happened because the uh, state TV never broadcasts. There's only one state media owned by, by the state, and it's always propaganda, very anti-American, very pro-Iranian, pro-Russia, pro-China kind of Pro country. Dictators. Yeah, very, very. And so we start broadcasting radio via shortwave into Eritrea, and then we hired Arabsat, so we start using satellite to broadcast, so which is now we broadcast 24 hours. And so my program was called Voices of Eritrean Refugees. I was... Just because, like, I felt like I'm in Sweden, I'm, my people are too far away. So I, I shifted my activism. I said, well, I'm fighting to help my people. But my people are also suffering outside of Eritrea because of the dictatorship. They flee and then they start getting kidnapped by Sudanese people because the only way we can flee is to Sudan. That's our neighbor country. And from Sudan, some gangsters started kidnapping people and sell them to Egyptians, to the Bedouins in Sinai, in Egypt. And then they get tortured 24 hours. Why they sell them? Well, basically it's for money and, and, and to be sold for as slaves. Uh, it's to, to Egypt? Have... Yes. 
okay, this is this yeah. whole thing. I feel so ignorant. So they flee. Sudanese capture them, and they're sold into slavery in Egypt. Yes, and then the Bedouins they torture them for ransom. So they they <clears throat> so they call like my cousin was kidnapped. My cousin was kidnapped. She was 25. She fled from Eritrea because she was in a military for seven years. So she was tired and and fled, made it to Sudan, got kidnapped, sold to the Bedouins in Egypt. The first ransom they told us to pay 3,500 USD, which we did, and then we thought she's going to be free. But then the second ransom was $37,000. So they sell them to to Egyptians, not to into slavery. Not that the Egyptians will go and ask for ransom. So why don't the Sudanese ask for the ransom directly? It's just so, this whole system of buying and selling people happening now. And the people who you, so did you manage to get your cousin out? Yes, but like I started, this happened like way after I started advocating for the kidnapped people. My cousin... It's like three years after I was involved. Uh, so, you know, I got fed up. I started covering the issues of the kidnapped people. Some of them were children. And the problem is, like, they called the family as your loved one is when my cousin was being gang raped by five guys. I had to listen to it. So when you listen to the cries of your loved one getting tortured, burned, raped, gang raped, so you will do anything. You will borrow money from anywhere you can and, and to pay and to rescue and the person. And they know this. Yeah. How do they contact you? They ask them they to... They give them phones. So, the phone they, so they are shackled like slaves. You know, they have like a big long chain. And, and so each person is shackled to the next person. The other person and is the shackled. the Egyptian authorities are not doing anything about this? They don't care. They literally tell you these are Africans. Like I went there. I went there to get kidnapped myself because I'm Swedish. I was thinking if I get kidnapped, at least... The Swedish government I'm an will. EU citizen and someone will talk about you'd it. Use, you'd use your white privilege yeah. so, passport. Like I did yeah. when I used my Australian passport <laughs> to come to Oslo without having to go through six months. The embassy holds my my passport and I go through fingerprints and interview and I have to have 10,000 euros in my bank account. They have to go through six months of my bank account and five years of my travel before I can even apply. And there you have it. I have That's to buy the <laughs> ticket and it's just crazy. The, yeah. What people who are not white they don't understand if you are not white all the problems you go through that's nothing like compared to what yeah, your family are going thing. through in yeah. Eritrea. Yeah. yeah but so you're Swedish you use your white privilege or your, yeah. your passport or my Swedish privilege <laughs> yeah which yeah. is why yeah you use that uh, to yeah. help your people in Eritrea so you started the broadcasting on shortwave they didn't jam that because they we were just did. interviewing Gul yeah and she, they did that with the Uyghur And she said they jammed it, so they we we can't broadcast to. But they can. Uyghur. They can. What we do is we use the same company that the government uses to broadcast. So if they block us, they have to block themselves. So if they're using Amazing. Arabsat, we do so Arabsat. That's very, if very they do Nilesat, we go to Nilesat. So whichever <laughs> uh, way they go, so we I always. I love this. <laughs> yeah, this is how. amazing. It's just use their own weapon. Yeah. So. Uh, So you work now in AI? Yeah. So, so explain to me the work you do right now to help your people, the uh, refugees. Not only my people, but like refugee community. I'm a refugee advocate. So because I've been advocating for refugees for about 18 years now. So why why we have refugees coming from Africa? Why? I mean, it's so why is, first of all, why is Africa destabilized? Why is the richest continent on Earth the poorest continent true, at the same resources. time? True, resources. That is yeah. so true. So it's it's intentionally designed that yes. way. So when Africans re, um, receive their independence or get the their independence, post-colonization, post-colonization yes. they made them sign, like the 
Afro-Franco-phone countries, all of those that was um, colonized by France, they still yes. pay to France. Is they that the 15 a, countries part yeah, of the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so... What they call it? Allowed, what they call uh, that? Afro-Franco-Francophone Africans or something okay. like that, yeah. So these countries are still paying to the French. Yes. The French is the one that manages their economy. They are not allowed to put their money elsewhere but in France. Yes. So you still have those kind of rules. So when the British left, they left the same kind of bureaucracy and the same kind of rules yes. for everyone. And as, secondly, it's the West supporting different fractions to destabilize the country. So look at So Congo. you can sell your resources for very cheap. Not even very cheap. I mean, they're getting ripped off. I mean, like 80% of the Tesla battery cars comes from Congo. Congo, yes. Yet Congolese don't even make a dollar a day. There's no infrastructure even there. I was looking no, at how no. they dig those. Exactly. And the kids there. Yeah, exactly. So you have child laborers. You have all kind of exploitation of Africans. It's not because Africans are lazy. A lot of people would say that. So they destabilize these countries. And so just because of dictatorship, oppression, corruption, people, people flee. flee. And also wars. Yeah, wars. You know, there's no more wars in Africa than anywhere else. So there's a war almost in one or two countries every year in Africa. So the, I, I don't think that like there has been no war. And you mentioned some Eritrean refugees. They try to cross the Mediterranean yes. to Europe. So can you tell us about that? So because of my radio program, uh, Voices of Eritrean Refugees, it was supposed to be just a radio program, but then it became like my number became a hotline. So people start calling me when they are kidnapped in Egypt. Please help me. I don't know how many millions of dollars I've paid in ransom. Uh, and then refugees drowning in the Mediterranean Sea would call me and say, we are 800 people. Our life is in your hand. So please rescue us. And what do you do? You cannot say no. And so there's too much bureaucracy in Europe. Nobody wants rescuing them means taking them in. So I call the Italian Coast Guards and they will tell me, oh, no, they're closer to Malta. Call Malta. And Malta will say, no, they're closer to Italy. Sometimes it go on like 48 hours until they receive rescue. Um, so I don't know. It just became like that. So my numbers are written in prisons in Libya at the walls in case of any problem. Call this person. They don't know if I'm a woman or a man because my name is a unisex name. They are Miron. Yeah, Miron. Yeah. So explain to me how AI is oppressing refugees' rights. Um, on so many ways. So... My issue is, first of all, you have Silicon Valley that's building the future of the world. True. And yet at the same time, we have no say in it. Our, our future in Africa is being built in Silicon Valley. But the techs that they are building is built for the Western system, not for third world countries. But at the same time, whenever they create this new technology, guess where they come and try it? They come to Africa to try it. Digital ID was tried first in Africa before it was on refugees. Because they wanted to see how it works and things, so it was. Was that Silicon Valley company? Of course. Which one is was that? I mean, there are many. I can't even name. I mean, like every company has committed that kind of exploitation. Because uh, there are no regulations have, there. You so have it's... Meta, for example. Meta uses African moderators uh, from all over Africa. Yes. But first of all, these people don't even make two hundred dollars a month, and secondly, they don't even receive. Imagine being a moderator. Moderator, you're reading all this traumatizing posts of people to see if it's... They don't even receive mental health And they don't even support. receive mental health. Uh, so they're actually suing Meta right now. The, the um, workers in Kenya, they got together, they unionized themselves, about 150 of them. They're suing Meta. There is another case against Twitter. So 
we can name almost every company, but they will always find. And then when it comes to AI, Europe, the, like European Union, the, the, the champions of human rights, they, yeah. they love to believe that they are champions of human rights, yet they are paying Libyan dictators money to keep refugees away. They are using AI technology. Frontex is using AI technology. It can spot when a boat leaves from Libya. It can spot if they are brown or black or if they are white. And, and then they call the Libyan Coast Guards and say, go capture these ones. Who is this They're company? Refugees. Can you tell me about Frontex. this company? Frontex. Frontex. Is, um, Frontex. It's an yeah. American company? It's an EU border company. EU border company. Yeah. Who owns this company? Uh, Frontex is an NGO. I mean, it's, it's, it's just created by... It's an they, NGO? Yeah, it's an so NGO. So they, they take satellite pictures? Yes. And they can define the color of, course. of the people on yeah. that boat? Frontex. Yeah. I'm going to look it up. They have the same thing. The U.S. is doing the same thing. Others are doing... So in every country, they're using border control. At the same time, you know, there's this um, something called World Coin. So World Coin is created in, in U.S. Um, and then... So what, what they're trying to do is they came to Africa because no other country would accept them. They came to Africa, first to Kenya and then Uganda. They're taking eye scans of people. A what? Eye scan. The eye scan? Yeah. Oh, okay. So they're just collecting. And then they give you this, I'm sorry, shitty coin, a worldly coin that's not worth anything, but they're promising people one day this will be worth a lot of money. And they, no, no one is explaining to Africans Don't how and where is going to be used this data that they are collecting. Is this data to train their AI? On yes, of course. But they're not saying that. It's interesting, the similarities between this and the Uyghur, what the Chinese, the CCP is doing to them by taking their facial scan, eye scan, fingerprints, even DNA. Yeah, I mean, even, even Google and, and, and others, uh, when you look at their faci uh, facial uh, recognition technology, uh, when it's white person, it, it, it identifies like 100%, while if it's a black person, it's like 30% of uh, recognition. The, the error? The error. Yeah. No, I think it's 70% people of color and women even less than yeah, that. Exactly. I think, yeah, it's interesting because the data they trained them on, they trained them on white exactly. people. Yeah. Maybe that's luck. That's where lucky ah, then. No, they really, can't recognize me as a woman. But another woman will get arrested in your name. Oh, yes. That's what makes that's it That's interesting worse. because yeah. if the error if the error is so high, that means that the false positive is high. That means people could be put in jail. Yeah. It has been proven in the U.S. at least. I mean, What many mistaken identity cases because of AI. I misidentified a black guy. As a, uh, and imagine as a if criminal. that person got killed. You know how there is police brutality against black people in the U.S. Yes, that yes. could have ended up in a wrong way. What's But the moral, like the ethics of using a technology that's not ready yet to pass a judgment on a human being? Like now AI is taking decisions on behalf of humans and deciding if this person is who they look at. Like what are the like the morals of that? Like are you guys do so is your organization advocate for that? Oh yeah, like uh, we our the research discrimination. Is, yeah. Of course, yeah. Our research is always about AI ethics and and uh, um, and and the responsibility of tech companies and others as well. What uh, you know you have. 
Amazon who does wage theft. Yeah, wage theft, you, yeah. you told, told and, me about uh, that. Yeah, so you can't even, like, if we name every company, you will find all kind of dirt uh, where they train their machines, how it was trained, especially if they have offices in Africa and Asia. It's always good to see. First of all, you have, like, the wage difference. Just because you are in Africa, you have to get paid $300 a month, even though you are a software developer. While in U.S., they get paid over 10K a month. So So there is that disproportion. Um, so even that, I think it's, it's, it's not fair because if a person ha has went to school and studied the same thing like you just because he, he happened to live in Asia or in, in, in Africa, he shouldn't be paid less. Yeah, it's interesting. It's not that's, and that's why they're actually offshoring. If they're going to pay them the same money as their own local engineer, they wouldn't offshore these jobs. No, they wouldn't. But at least yeah. make it fair. At least make it like rewarding to work yeah. for an international company that makes billions of dollars. Can you talk more about AI ethics? Like what are the ethics that you want AI companies to follow when they deploy these um, AI technology or AI supported technology? Let's say facial recognition, that's an AI. It's an AI. I mean, like we have uh, AI technologies in our phone. We have AI mm -hmm. technologies in everywhere where mm -hmm. people don't even think that uh, they have AI in their phone. We've been using AI way before ChatGPT. Yeah. I think ChatGPT is just like, wow, a machine can write an essay for me or make help me with my homework. I'm actually learning and I'm doing therapy. I'm doing a lot of things. My taxes, I was so so complicated for me. I did that because I was just like, can you, you are a tax consultant and explain these things to me. But what are the ethics? Like number one for you, when I build an AI support um, uh, or... Um. It's just the system is unfair. That's mm -hmm. we can start from there. The system yes. is unfair. As I said, like our f future is being built mm -hmm. in Silicon Valley. Without our say. Without our say. Uh, so the the difference comes from there. Who are the people that are getting these jobs? Who are the people that are creating this? Is often like white, rich, white men. Yes. Uh, and they have the money and the deep pockets to hire the best exactly. in class yes. to come and help them build those. Yes. And and then they have billions. And then what happens is they go and exploit the offshore. They start opening offshore companies and exploit. And then they will give like one billion dollars for a cause or something. And they will say, look at us. We're doing something, even though they're doing much harmful by designing these technologies that are not for equal rights of everyone. These technologies are there only for the white man. Yeah, so we strengthen white people data. We don't have a say in that. What else ethics that? Uh, I mean, there is all. I mean, <laughs> I get, I get, you know, when they are building this issue, for example, like for me, I have no respect for a company that builds Um, border control technology to, to block refugees, even though that's a breach of International Refugee Convention. Because when you are a signatory of International Convention, everyone has a right to ask asylum anywhere they want. True. There's no such thing as, oh, why didn't they ask asylum in Libya? Libya is not part of the Refugee Convention signatory. So we cannot... Libya has its own problems. Yeah, exactly. But and who decides that? that? Who decides it, yeah. that? I mean, like they will tell you, oh, yeah, but we'll let them come legally. Try traveling with an African passport. Is no there, one is will that give you the, a visa. That's yeah. also itself is an apartheid because you have the weak passport and the strong passport. Yeah, I know So that. African passports can even get you to another African country wow. <laughs> without a visa. So that's how they keep you away. But at the, at the same time, they try to tell you, oh, no, but if you want to come here, come legally. Show me where I can go to you. There's no legally. way. For, there There's no... none. So how is your family? How did your family move from Eritrea to Sweden? My dad was an activist like 45 years ago and, and he was wanted by the then um, 
communist party in Ethiopia, in Eritrea. <clears throat> and so he had to flee. He fled to Sudan and then he used to work for a Swedish company when he was in Eritrea and he has always dreamed of going to Sweden. He didn't want to go elsewhere. So that's how he got there and I later joined him so I didn't have to go through. I actually entered as a Swedish citizen to Sweden wow, because so of my dad. dad. It was, yes, yes. But because he was wanted and when you went back, wasn't that dangerous for you when you went back? That was like the the, the communism had fallen. Had fallen. Oh, so so now it's a new country. There was no Eritrea when we fled. We were part of Ethiopia. So we had gotten our independence in 1991. So until then, we were called Ethiopians, actually. And now it's Eritrea. Yeah. So going back to AI and, and human rights, what other things that AI could be used to abuse human rights? Other than not telling you when I'm you scanning your, I'm having your eye scan and I'm not telling you what I'm going to use it for. I'm giving you this the same thing coin. with the digital ID. It's an AI technology. Yes. So if you go in Africa to all refugee camps, for example, they have a biometric uh, data face recognition. So these refugees, they have no say. They cannot say, I don't want my data to be taken. Yeah. It's just they're not even giving not, you an option. Are they you don't okay? have agency. No. So it's, they're it's, not taking permission. Yeah. You want to be a refugee? Okay. Give us your facial, f- facial yeah. print. So every month when you come to take your Russian food, you have to go through this biometric recognition. Yeah. That is crazy. Uh, and, but no one is, the, the crazy thing is like, where is the data going? And no one knows that. No one knows that. So, uh, you know, there, I'm very suspicious about those because they keep coming to Africa collecting all kinds of data and no one tells you what it is being used to. And no one gave a permission saying, yes, I'm giving you willingly my data or my so, eye scan or my fingerprints or something. No, it's, it's just like giving it to you as it's like a must. To get your food, to, yeah. to survive, to, exactly. to so, exist. But this data, so a friend of mine, she, you know, she has once given like as a refugee her data in Kenya. Yes. Later, she went to the UK to study to do her master's or something. So one day, like she was sick, she didn't go to school. And home office like the immigration came and knocked at her door just to make sure if she's in the country or not so where did they get this data it's the data that was given in in kenya but, but no yet, one knows we don't course. know we don't know where this data goes it is crazy to see how data brokers the way they collect data and then they sell this data and we uh, i watched this documentary about navalny alexei navalny the russian d- dissident And it shows this Bulgarian journalist who can buy data from data brokers. And he said they acquire data from every single data entry point. And I just scares like if I go to those data brokers and ask about the data on me, how much of that being taken away from me, bought and sold? And the, so first of all, you now you mentioned the data. We don't have say in that. And also we don't know what it, who's... Who, What it's been used for. Exploitation. Yeah, yeah, that's exploitation. What else? How, 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 and also the biased data that if it's, it could make mistakes and take decisions based on those mistakes because it didn't, uh, it wasn't accurate to identify the person. Yeah, guess what? It still happens actually like data theft. So another person can go using identity theft. Yeah. So you are somewhere, you are in a refugee camp waiting to be resettled somewhere and then someone else has already gone to US or to Australia or Canada. And taking your your ID. Yeah, in your name. And you're like, how come this biometric data did not detect that it's different person that actually went? No, it doesn't. So it makes you wonder 
Is this data really accurate? Does this happen? Yes, like someone, it does happen. There was a identity theft where someone w- yeah. was due to go or was eligible for Quite a, often. It happens quite, quite often. A lot. So this is like maybe there's some criminal pr- work I mean, here. The NHR they is the most corrupted entity that I know of. So, I mean. Can you give us a story, like something that you guys help refugees with when it comes to... So what what exactly your organization do you do advocacy? We do, do advocacy. I mean it's a new NGO like uh, it has been like a year and a half since we opened. And so who's who's who started the NGO? The NGO started by Dr. Timnit Gabru. She was a Google AI ethics director. Yeah, she famously uh, yeah. in mysterious circumstances left got Google. Fired, yeah. She was she got fired? She was fired. They didn't even tell her that she was fired. Like But she, it was it mentioned because she was one of the first AI yeah. scientists to raise questions, the, issues, yeah. No, she concerns. actually yeah, that it's yeah. not that it's flagged. She actually she was a whistleblower. Yeah. Saying it's very risky and yeah. now the new the other AI yeah. um experts from Google, he left He wasn't fired, right? He left. Uh, he left. But the month. thing is, what's funny is, you know, when uh, Timney raised these concerns years ago, um, they laughed at her. But maybe it's she's because a she's a woman or maybe she's, she's a, a black woman yeah. on top of our that. Life. <laughs> Miron, our life. But yeah. if uh, it's a guy says that. It's exactly. So now when he comes and tries to say, oh, the godfather of AI is concerned, you're like, really? Where were you all these years? All this. When this was being built, AI. when the facial recognition was built, when other things. I mean, like when we talk about AI, I, I don't know. If I, I There is this, um, I follow this AI news, like on a daily basis, whatever yes. comes out. Yes. And, and I was reading the other days I was reading um, there's now people you know like the young generation the Gen Z um, the one thing that scares them is the feeling of abandonment none, none of us likes to be abandoned or feel abandoned so now they've been using this AI boyfriend AI girlfriend that you can pay and, and, and so you come from work and your AI boyfriend says hi baby how was your day are you good Do you I don't know I know about oh, yeah. I know I use it as uh, a therapist I'll, I'll like, send you when I go through the, the hard times is crazy. this is crazy yeah. this So some of them had had like boyfriend for four years and AI boyfriend. Some an boyfriend. AI boyfriend. Yeah. Guess what like happened? Is that like an app you downloaded? I know. But guess what happened? You pay for it, actually. So what happened was this year, so the company that, that creates uh, this. The AI boyfriend and yeah, girlfriend. They did like a system update. And then what happened is like the boyfriends did not recognize the girlfriends or the girlfriends did After not. After four years <laughs> of a relationship. Yeah. So imagine you have had a guy that you think like he's like better than a real boyfriend. And then one day you come home to work from work and then the AI is like, how may I help you? Like he doesn't know you. And I read like some of these young girls are like, nope. One of them was saying, no, I'm going to revive Ryan, my boyfriend. I'm, I'm not going to give up. I've been with him for four years, even though he doesn't recognize me now. I'll try everything to revive him. And you're like, for, this is a kind of future. For, that- for, four years with a boyfriend and then an update, <laughs> erase his memory. I don't even want to laugh, but it's... Did you watch the movie <laughs> Her? Did you watch the movie Her? No, I don't think so. So Her, Yakin <laughs> Phoenix, he falls in love with his computer, which is an AI. And uh, the voice was Scarlett Johansson. It was a beautiful movie, by the way. It was really beautiful. And then they retreat all those. She fell in love with like thousands of people. He didn't know. He thought she's, he's the only person she's talking to. But she was talking to other men. And it broke his heart. And then they recall all those AIs. And it really freaked me out because I'm like, wow, falling in love with a computer. Yeah, but as a mother, it worries me. I'm like, is this the future of my kids? 
It is, I think. You know, we build societies that is so lonely. Like number one reason for unhappiness in our societies is loneliness. We build houses, the nuclear family, where you have to take care of yourself and kids on your own. You don't meet your neighbors. Your whole community and social life is at work now. Because we just killed communities yeah, to exactly. pay for services. Yeah, yeah. And people get, think like, why we're no lonely? We build our cities this way. Yeah. Capitalism is built on consumption. Also, I mean, the internet has made that you don't have like, you know, like you stop t- checking on your family because you see their fo- Facebook posts, Instagram posts on a daily yeah, basis. You don't have so that you don't one even one. call and ask, how are you? Because you're like, yeah, I watch I know picture. what picture, she's fine. You know, so it, it kind of have... We have secluded ourselves from society where our only contact have become through internet or through Zoom meeting or It a is. phone call or something. But also we're lonelier, isn't it? Yeah. We're really lonely. This is Benal Sharif. We are speaking live from Oslo. I'm with me, Miron, and she is talking about scary things, <laughs> depressing things. And But we will try to give you some hope now. Yeah. Give us some hope, Miron. How do you see the future? If I give you a magic wand now and you're a mother... If I give you a magic wand to create any technology that will make refugees' life better, that will make your life better, what would that technology look like? I mean, there shouldn't be no borders. I mean, like, yes. borders were created to separate people. There were no borders over yes. 100 years ago. To control resources. Yeah, exactly. Access to resources. So for me, it's, it's uh, the ultimate dream is like... Let's keep that. I mean, no passport. Yeah, I mean, like, why do we need that? We are the same human race. Yeah, but that's that's What's a it? long dream. Yeah, that's but a long still, dream. I'm But still, I'm a very optimist, and I do believe, you know, like for me, it's like the ultimate is uh, fighting dictatorship, and then you do have, you know, this big rich country supporting uh, dictatorships with with technology to track down activists, to arrest spy activists, words, to spy yes, yeah. activists, and things like that. Yeah. Yes. So, so what's I want your to dream? See what's, a ma- what's a magic wand? What would, what would you use your magic wand? What's the technology that you would create? A technology that can make the world a beautiful Better place, place uh-huh. not a technology that divides, a technology that, that tells people, oh, let's keep these people away just because they're browns or blacks. Uh, we've seen that there is no migration crisis in Europe because of when, you, when the Ukraine war started, yes. Europe opened the borders. Yes. Even though two weeks before that, Afghani and Syrian refugees died of cold at the Polish border because they wouldn't let them in. So it's it's mainly about injustice that's going on. So I, I want to see a just world where people recognize uh, the privilege that they have and say enough is enough. Like it's not enough saying, oh, no, you know, I have immigrant friends. I'm not really racist. No, it's not about that. Yeah, It's about actually recognizing yeah. how privileged you are and fighting for others that are less fortunate and, and having say to your governments, not in my name, stop using this border control technologies, not in my name. European Union is now like over 3,000 to 5,000 people die every year in the shores of Europe. And nobody talk about it because they're browns and They're blacks black or they're brown. Nothing else. They're not Europeans. I think my dream is if I can have a virtual reality that or a game that makes you live the life of a refugee from the time they leave their homeland, their family, to their own safety, and how what the dangers they go through, the life and and inhumanity and indignities they have to incur and suffer. I think we still can use technology to create sympathy 
to yeah, create, we can, to of create I think if we can use virtual reality, if we can use visual art, if we can Yeah, I mean like a friend of mine we built can definitely like use an app for that. That's called Refugee Friend. Yeah. The Refugee Friend is like it, it, it connects you with people that, that it matches you like with people this. that wants to help and people you see, that need here you help. Go. Here's an app. Yeah. It's called Refugee so something Friend. Like that. Can it's we download Refugee, this app? Yes, please re- download the Refugee Friend app. And you can, if you want to help people with housing, you can say, uh, I can host you for two days. Uh, maybe, oh, I can let you shower in my place for two days. And so the app, what it does is like, uh, it connects you with these people, but there is a, we do background check on the people yes. that are, wants to help because yes. you don't want to send someone into a serial killer or something. Oh, wow. So, but no. it's like for people that want to contribute money or for people that want to contribute by letting someone stay one day in their house or by giving so transportation. So it's like a Tinder for refugees. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Humanity. Yeah. Uh-huh. So let's create more uh, just apps that help people instead of that destroys people's lives. That's absolutely right. Thank let's you, Miron, for <laughs> yeah. coming to our podcast. My pleasure. Thank this you for is, having me. This was amazing. Thank, Thank you. you so much. My and pleasure. I wish you enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to Manal Al-Sharif and Reinhard Sosen with our special coverage of the Oslo Freedom Forum in 2023. We hope you've enjoyed our interviews with Noeline, Chavatso and Meren. This is just part one of our Africa report. And in part two, we'll be bringing you even more interviews from delegates from Africa at the 2023 Oslo Freedom Forum. You've been listening to season three. Don't click here of Tech for Evil.